Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. Today, we're up with a review of our homemade marshmallows. Were these made-from-scratch confections worthy of our time or best purchased off the shelf? Then we'll intro a sweet and spicy pretzel and nut mix from preheated fave David Leibovitz that sounds perfect for gifting or handing round at your holiday soirees. And we've got an amazing roundup of listeners' favorite holiday cookies that's sure to inspire you this baking season. So put the kettle on and get ready for some sweet talk. Stefan, I got a great voicemail from one of our listeners named Carol from California. Oh, Carol from California. Love those voicemails. I do. Love them so much. So I just wanted to address her question here. Okay. I know that the Thanksgiving season is past, but for those people who are making a lot of holiday pies, Mm -hmm. this can still be helpful. Okay. So she left a message saying that I often talk about making pie dough in advance and Mm -hmm. making large batches of it. Okay. And she wanted a little bit more detail. Oh, okay. The first question she had was about my food processor, Mm -hmm. and she wanted to know what size I have. So I personally have the Cuisinart 14-cup food processor. So it's the big full-size one, and that's what I'm using. Okay. I have that one too. Yeah. Yeah. And then she said, are you making one dough at a time or many? Are you doubling the recipe? That sort of thing. So great question. Right. I am making multiple batches, but I only make them one batch at a time. Got it. I have never taken my pie dough recipe Mm -hmm. and doubled it or tripled it or quadrupled it. I'm too frightened to do that. (laughs) Yeah. But things change. I mean, you're right to be cautious. Things really do or can change when you start mixing and meddling with proportions. Yes. So, you know, pie dough, when it comes down to it, doesn't have a lot of ingredients. So you've just got your flour, your water, your salt, your fat, whatever that is, butter, leaf lard. Yeah. I often do the egg when I make my Mary Beth's Reliable Pie Crust recipe. So I get all of that out. I have a huge stainless steel bowl. I make one recipe at a time, and I do it in my food processor. That makes two crusts for me. It's a double crust recipe. I wrap those up really well, and so I usually do five batches in a row. So I will end up with 10 pie crust. And I wrap those in cling wrap or saran wrap, and then I put them all in a freezer bag and put them into my freezer. Nice. And then when I'm ready to make pie, I just pull the crust out the night before put it in the fridge, and then before I roll it out, I'll pull it out maybe 15, 20 minutes ahead of time so it softens up even a little bit more for easy rolling out. And Andrea, how long do you normally keep those in the freezer, like from your day of batch baking and making them up until they're gone? You know, what's a good kind of rule of thumb? Is that like three months? How long do you think they really stay good in there? You know, that's a good question. I do use them fairly quickly. Okay. Maybe they would last three months or six months. I just don't know. I typically will make them maybe as much as a month or six weeks in advance. Yeah. The only thing that can go a little bit wrong, it's not a flavor issue, but it can be a little bit off-putting visually, 
if you use leaf lard like I do, it can turn gray. <laughs> yeah, I think that's kind of true with other fats too sometimes, like a shortening. I've noticed that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great tips, especially during this really busy holiday season. If you want to get ahead, just doing some batch, then you've got half the pie ready to go. Yeah, it's so easy when you've got the dough ready to just pull out of the freezer. And I think, you know, some people hear me say, oh, I make this all in batch. And they're thinking, "Ooh, it's just a one-time thing. She's just making this huge batch. Mm -hmm. And I'm not really doing that. I'm making the same recipe five times in a row. But I still feel like it's a big time saver because yes. you only have to get all of your ingredients out once. You only have to, you know, use one bowl and clean one bowl. Yes. I just scoop the dough out of the food processor and then throw the next batch in. I don't have to continually wash things and clean things. So I still feel it's a time saver, even though I'm not quintupling the recipe. Is that five times? Quintupling. I don't know. <laughs> quintupling. Gosh, yes. I mean, I always love doing things that future Stefan's really going to appreciate. So hopefully yes. future Carol and all our other pie bakers out there will appreciate doing some in batches and just storing them. There's nothing better than just having this stuff ready to go at your fingertips. That's right. So thanks, Carol, for that voicemail question. It was so fun to hear your voice. Listeners, don't forget, you can always give us a call. We won't answer in person, but we do have a voicemail message, and you can leave us a message, and we love to respond to you. And if you're looking for that number, it is 802-276-0788. Andrea, we're going to talk about our favorite holiday cookies and our listeners' favorite holiday cookies in just a minute here. But don't forget this baking season. We have done so many other festive treats as you're starting to put together your holiday meal plans and all of that. Look back through our archives. We have some really great desserts we've done over the years. And here are some of them. In episodes five through eight, Andrea, way back in season one, we tackled our homemade eggnog for the first time, our fruit cake, our happy people fudge, and churro Chex Mix. And then in episodes 54 through 57, we featured some gingerbread cookie bars, your favorite mincemeat recipe, Listener Jeannie's amazing English toffee, and one of my favorites, those blizzard blondies. Oh my gosh. And those gingerbread cookie bars are still some of my favorites too. Oh yeah. And then last season in episodes 102 through 105.5, we did our cherry bounce and our Irish cream if you are looking for some festive beverages, mm-hmm. a chocolate whiskey souffle, and figgy pudding. Ugh. Nothing better than figgy pudding at holiday time. It's really, really appropriate at holiday time, especially. Yeah. It's time to start some new holiday traditions, and that brings us to this week's review. So in this December month of Confection Affection, we started out with some homemade marshmallows, and this came from food blogger Foodie with Family. Before we jump into the recipe, Stefan, mm. last week I told you I had done a little research on the history of marshmallows. Oh my gosh, you blew everyone's mind, I'm sure, with the extensive <laughs> thorough history of marshmallows. It was really fascinating. I sort of wondered at the end of that recording if anyone made marshmallows from the actual mallow root yeah. anymore, which is how this got started. Yeah. And I promised I would do some research on that. Right. Of course, the internet delivered. Ask and you shall receive. <laughs> Food blogger Julie over at foodcrumbles.com mm-hmm. has a great article about making marshmallow from marshmallow root. 
Her food blog is all about improving and understanding food with science. So I could see how she really got into this. Mm -hmm. She was talking about the history of marshmallows just like we did, but she was also interested in using the marshmallow root because of making it vegetarian instead of using gelatin. Oh, got it. Okay, yes. But after I read her article, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes, I decided not to go with the mallow root for two reasons. Number one is it's really hard to find. And, you know, you and I don't like to do recipes that force people to go out and, you know, find odd things like marshmallow root powder. Yeah. Number two is that, that she said here, the powder itself is a light brown color and has a healthy smell. (laughs) It, It somehow reminds me of sweets you eat when you have a cough. And so I thought, that just doesn't sound to me like what I'm looking for in my (laughs) vanilla marshmallow recipe. So I stuck with just the regular recipe and did not go with marshmallow root. Yeah, light brown and healthy are two words I never have associated with marshmallow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and that's how I felt too. So I just went with the plain old uh, unflavored gelatin. In the recipe, it says three envelopes of a Knox gelatin. So that is what I use. Yeah. Now, Stefan, in London, I know you sometimes have trouble getting powdered gelatin. Were you able to get your hands on some of this powdered gelatin, or did you have to use your sheet gelatin? Yeah, I had mentioned last episode that uh, leaf gelatin is much more prevalent here. But fortunately, my mama was coming to visit me. So I said, could you please put a box of Knox in your suitcase? (laughs) And she did. So thanks to my mama. She made this recipe possible for me. I love it. I guess I would caution against trying to substitute leaf gelatin here unless you're really good at that substitution. It's not necessarily a one for one, Mm -hmm. but I bet there's lots of other recipes that do use a leaf. So yeah, I was fortunate enough to use the gelatin Mm -hmm. as written. So I also had no problem getting that thanks to my mom. All right. Well, thanks to mom for that box of Knox. What a great little travel gift. (laughs) I know. Super light. So I will walk us through the recipe and the steps. So your first step is to line your 9 by 9 or your 8 by inch pan with plastic wrap and oil it so that your marshmallow doesn't stick to it. I used an 8 by 8. How about you? Yeah, my square is a 9. So that worked just great for me. Step two is you sprinkle your gelatin over half a cup of cold water and soak it so that it, you know, starts to get a little bit thick. Meanwhile, on the stove in a small saucepan, you combine regular granulated sugar, two cups of it, two-thirds of a cup of light corn syrup, and a quarter cup of water. I notice in this instruction, it didn't tell you what heat level. It didn't say, you know, over medium heat or over high heat. So I just went with medium. Yeah. Is that what you did as well? I think I was probably about a medium high. Okay. Yes. And it says whisk only until the sugar was dissolved. And I made a little note here that just says no, meaning that I personally didn't see my sugar dissolve per se. I mean, there's two cups of sugar and only a quarter cup of water. I had the same issue. My note says grainy. Okay. It was still grainy. Okay. I couldn't get it to incorporate. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Me too. Got it. So then you bring it to a rapid boil. And as soon as it's boiling, you go ahead and set the timer and let it boil hard for one minute. Yes. With no stirring. Yep. This is where, of course, we were reminding everyone to be so careful because you've now got this boiling syrup. Yes. You want to pour it into your soaked gelatin that's in the bowl of your stand mixer. And then you turn your mixer on and you use the whisk attachment. 
and add your little bit of salt. And then this is the part that I thought was, I was so glad I was home alone. It says beat for between 10 and 12 minutes or until fluffy and mostly cooled. Yeah. And so, you know, 10 minutes with your stand mixer on, I don't know about you, Stefan, but that's loud. Yeah. And don't forget that I also have my voltage adapter, which kind of hums. Oh, that's right. Yeah, there was a lot going on there. But, you know, you look at that, too, and you're like, oh, 10 to 12 minutes. But literally, you are pretty much done with your your physical work here. I mean, the, the machine is doing it from here on out. And this is where this turned really, really fun for me, Andrea, because mm-hmm. it's starting to incorporate and it's starting to get fluffy. And that was yes. so fascinating to watch. It really was. And after the 10 to 12 minutes and when it's nice and fluffy is when you add in your extract. Now, the recipe says a tablespoon of vanilla extract. That's what I use, but she also said you could combine other flavor extracts. Did you just go with vanilla or did you try anything different? You know, I did vanilla here since it was my first time making marshmallows, Mm -hmm. but I would definitely consider doing another flavor now that I have the basics of the marshmallow down. My daughter was especially interested, you know, it's being holiday time with maybe like a candy cane or Mm -hmm. mint flavor. I Mm -hmm. think that would be really good. You just did vanilla. I just did the vanilla and I was thinking the same thing that if I do it again and I use a different extract, I think I'll also do a bit of food coloring. So Oh, pretty. For example, I have a lemon extract. I think I would use my yellow food coloring. If I did the mint sort of candy cane, I thought I would do a pink food coloring. So Mm -hmm. I have some ideas. Yeah. And you know, in that step, Andrea, I wanted to also caution you have put your now boiling sugar into the gelatin and and everything's in your stand mixer. You're turning that on high speed. So be really careful. Don't let that splash because it will still be really, really hot. Oh, good point. And the recipe does say start on low and move up to high speed. And I'm sure that's yeah. why they want yeah. you to be careful there. So yeah, thanks for that reminder. That's right. Once you have your extract beat in, you want to go ahead and grease your hands and grease a sil- silicone scraper or a rubber scraper. And you want to transfer that, I'm going to call it marshmallow fluff, into the prepared pan. And then you use your your greased hands to sort of press that into the pan evenly. Now, Stefan, the reason I'm sort of specifically calling out the marshmallow fluff as opposed to the final product of the marshmallows Mm. is I have two different reviews or ratings, I should say. I know. I, of course, had to eat the leftovers in the stand mixer. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Of course. It goes without saying. Of the fluff, I thought this was some of the best stuff I had ever tasted. I mean, it was just like this warm, gooey deliciousness. And I was thinking back on some of our recipes we've made where we've done sort of s'mores things. So back in episode 51, I made a s'mores cupcake Mm -hmm. and it had a marshmallow fluff filling. I would make this for that. Yeah. Also, episode 40, we did those no-bake s'mores indoor bars. Yes. I think it would be really fun. Instead of putting, you know, just your jet puff packaged marshmallows on top, you could use this fluff and spread it across the top because it is so delicious. Yeah, I had that similar thought, Andrea. I thought, you know, Rice Krispie Treats is what immediately sprung to my mind because you have that kind of arduous process of melting down the marshmallows with the butter. And that's always been kind of this hassle to me. And I thought, oh my gosh, not only would it be so much better, but it would actually, it sounds counterintuitive to say like making your own marshmallow fluff would be easier, but I actually think it might be. And I had that same thought. I thought that was really, really good stuff. Wow, I can't believe I didn't think of Rice Krispie Treats, duh. I mean, that would be the perfect use of this. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, you press that uh, fluff into your pan and you can take another piece of lightly oiled plastic wrap or I just kind of had my spatula oiled and I used it to pat down on top of the marshmallow to kind of create a seal. Yeah. And then the instructions say let it sit out for a few hours overnight until cooled and firmly set. Mm-hmm. I left mine on the counter. I was a little curious. I wondered if maybe I should have put it in the fridge, Mm. but it did set up just fine. So I think the counter is okay. Yeah. How long did you leave it there? I did do um, overnight. Yeah, I did too, just on the counter, same as you. Yeah. Okay. Now the final step is with the confectioner's sugar. So the confectioner's sugar is what's going to help you cut these marshmallows and keep them from sticking together. So you sprinkle your surface you're going to cut on with the confectioner's sugar. Yes. And then you remove that big marshmallow square and use a large sharp knife to cut it. I personally found that sawing was not as effective as like cutting straight up and down. Okay. So you might even want to use your bench cutter if you've got one of those. I think that would be effective. Yeah. I used my serrated knife there. Oh, okay. And that worked well? It worked okay, but this was, number six was hard for me. I think it was the hardest part of this whole recipe Yeah, was cutting these things. I used a, as she said, a long, sharp knife. I used one of my really long, thin knives, and it's not a serrated edge. Okay. I found it worked best if I just put it straight down, and luckily it was more than eight inches, so it could go from end to end and then lift straight back up. Okay. So you are just pressing it down is what you're saying. Okay, got it. Yeah. Yeah. Once you've got it cut into squares, then you want to separate those pieces and toss to coat them all with the sugar. And this is where my review changed from a five-star to a four-star. I thought it was still good. Okay. I enjoyed it. But I thought the finished marshmallow coated with the confectioner's sugar was a step down from the day before marshmallow fluff. Yeah. You know, was your marshmallow fluff even kind of warm still? It was. It was so good. I think I would agree with you, Andrea. And that said, I thought they were so much fun to make. I loved these. I think it's going to be the most fun you have in your kitchen this December. You might remember this was one of my 19 for 19. And I had been strangely intimidated by making these. I'm here to say they're not intimidating at all. They're very straightforward, very easy. And it's really rather magical how they transform from the hot sugar and the gelatin into this billowing fluffy fluff it's it's crazy and it's really fun and I also can add that as time has gone on I actually made these a little bit in advance the flavor hasn't diminished so you know sometimes you make things and they're best on day one or day two Mm -hmm. now of course I am eating them by popping them into a hot chocolate so (laughs) that could help yeah but that's really fun putting them on top of hot chocolate I put them in the little plastic bags with a twist tie on top because I was thinking I might give some away as gifts. Mm -hmm. That confectioner sugar does do a great job of making sure they don't stick to each other. So I thought overall, like you said, this was a fun experiment. Quite honestly, making these homemade marshmallows was easier than making that Swiss meringue buttercream we made a couple of weeks ago. You could say that again. Yeah, that's true. You know, the other thing... We were just talking about maybe doing some flavor variations, which I would love to play around with. And I had already tossed all of my marshmallows in confectioner's sugar when my daughter suggested that we dip half in melted chocolate. And I think that would be really yummy too. I've eaten them like that. Mm -hmm. Half marshmallow, half chocolate. That's really good. I think that would be really fun. You know, overall, I think it would be a really fun gift. You could package it up with some hot cocoa mix. That's definitely how we served it as well. Yes. My whole family really loved these. There's a phrase here, Andrea, 
they'll say something is Moorish. Oh. And I just love it because that's what they were. Like extra. That fluff was extra. The finished product, it was just more than your ordinary store-bought marshmallow. So oh. I thought it was so fun and I really encourage you to make them. Yeah. Thanks so much to Foodie with Family. That's the blog where we got this. They do also recommend unique flavors, and they listed chocolate, orange, and coffee. And so, you know, there are some more ideas if you haven't come up with your own ideas already of what you want to do with those. I think those also sound really good. Well, switching gears a bit, Andrea, in our second week of confection affection, this bake-along is from one of our faves, David Leibovitz. And loyal listeners may remember that one of our all-time favorite recipes was his agave sweetened chocolate ice cream we did back in first season. That is still a great chocolate ice cream. Yeah, we actually have some great history with David Leibovitz. Yeah. For those who haven't been listening since the beginning, we first talked about him on episode zero (laughs) when I mentioned that My favorite cookbook at that time was The Perfect Scoop by him. That's his ice cream book. Yeah. And then in episode 11, I used his recipe to make the French chocolate macarons, which visually weren't quite what I was looking for, but taste-wise were amazing. Those came from his cookbook, The Sweet Life. Yes. In episode 31, we made his agave sweetened chocolate ice cream that you just referenced. And then, Stefan, in episode 109, you made his recipe for beetroot cake, which I think was based on an Ottolenghi recipe, but he maybe added some of his own twist to it. Yeah, I think he had modified it. That's right. I did. It was like a beaten parsnip cake. So we thought we would add David's spiced glazed nuts and pretzel mix to our confection affection month. You know, Andrea, when I think about the holidays, I have this very nostalgic memory of going to downtown Everett, Mm -hmm. where I grew up, Everett, Washington. And I will date myself here by letting you know that it was of a time when department stores still had like a candy counter in them. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh Yes. And you could get a soda fountain and all that. Yeah, absolutely. I remember like a spiced nuts at holiday time. Mm -hmm. Spiced nuts? What is this? It seemed so... (laughs) (laughs) So crazy cool to me. And that's kind of what I thought about and why we decided to include it. It's going to be sweet. It's going to be a little bit spicy. It's going to be a little bit crunchy. For all that we love our sweets, sometimes the holidays can be a little, you know, harder for folks who are looking for a salty snack. And we thought this might fit the bill. The other reason I was so excited by this recipe is the snack mixes we've made in the past involve Chex Mix cereal, and that's not something I ever have on hand. Yeah. But shockingly, I couldn't even believe it. Yeah. I had all of the ingredients for this spice glazed nuts and pretzel mix. Yeah. Of course, part of that reason is I love nuts and I love pretzels. (laughs) So (laughs) that's why I had everything on hand. But I think that it's also a great way to clean out your pantry. <laughs> exactly. And a lot of people are gifted nuts for the holidays or maybe, I don't know about you guys, but for Thanksgiving, my mom used to buy a bowl of nuts and she would set them out with that nutcracker next to it. My mom did that too. Yeah. Yes. Always. Yeah. So we yeah. always had these yeah. nuts. Now, in his recipe, he suggests two cups or 200 grams of mixed raw nuts. And I do want to point out that they're raw and untoasted. So, yeah. you know, make sure that's what you're using. He says any combination of cashews, whole almonds, peanuts, pecan halves, and hazelnuts. Mm -hmm. I know that in my pantry, I have all of those except the peanuts, which is odd because we love peanuts. It must just be that I'm out of them. So I'll either go and get some peanuts or I might just substitute something else. I'm not sure yet. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned about rounding up. 
because we just did our hazelnut shortbread in October. So you might have some hazelnuts lying around from that if you baked along with us. Also just a delicious nut to have on hand. But I don't think you're going to go far wrong if you just choose ones you like or that you have. I think it's going to be a fairly adaptable Mm -hmm. recipe that way. I agree. You're also going to need a little bit of butter, but not a lot, only a tablespoon and some dark brown sugar and then some spices, some cinnamon, some cayenne or red pepper powder, and some maple syrup for some sweetness, and then the flaky sea salt or kosher salt for that salty hit, along with two cups of small pretzel twist. And you know, Andrea, I thought there, because really butter is the only non-vegan ingredient, if you substituted a tablespoon of olive oil or another neutral oil there, you could make this vegan, as long as you check that your pretzels fill that category as well. I think that's a great idea. I know for my friend who is not vegan, but she is dairy-free, I could use yep. ghee. I shouldn't say she's dairy-free. She's lactose intolerant. So I could use ghee, which okay will fit that bill. So yeah, I think it's got some flexibility there. Olive oil, I think would be great. You know, I just recently made a granola using olive oil instead of butter. Oh yeah. The raw product, I didn't like the taste. I thought, oh no, my granola tastes like olive oil. But the baked product was fabulous. I could not taste the olive oil at all. So I have a feeling that's what would happen with this as well. Because you take those nuts, you spread them out on a baking sheet, you toast them for about 10 minutes. And then you melt down your butter, your sugar, and your spices, and your maple syrup. Add the nuts, stir them all together, and then mix in the salt and pretzels. Put them back in the oven for another 12 to 18 minutes, stirring twice during cooking. Mm -hmm. I'm planning on staying close to my oven. I do get a little bit nervous about nuts burning, especially pecans. I make my granola with pecans a lot, and I can find that those can tend to burn. So I plan to keep a close eye on my pretzel and nut mix while it's in the oven. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. And the other thing here that he doesn't specifically call out is to coat your baking sheet with something. Since you are cooking with sugar, I think that will only benefit you if you've got some parchment down or a silpat, just in case there's any sticky sugar. Oh yeah, good point. A couple of his notes, this is from his Sweet Life in Paris cookbook. He has a couple of great tips, one that's good for cleaning and making it a one bowl He melts his tablespoon of butter in the large bowl so that he can just do all the mixing in that bowl. That's one less thing for him to wash. Yes. And he also recommends you add the salt after you've stirred the nuts so that it doesn't dissolve. So you want sort of that crunchy, salty texture. Okay. And then finally, my favorite recommendation from him is that this is the perfect nibble before dinner with an aperitif. Of course it is. (laughs) Of course course it is. is. In Paris or wherever else you're making this. After I make it, I plan on serving it in exactly that way. So I need to do some research, I think, on uh, the perfect aperitif to serve with this. I love this. I love bar nuts. I love snack mix. I think this is going to be the best of all worlds. Looks easy. Looks like something you could turn out in batches. Good for gifting. Adaptable. Can use up what you have in your pantry. It's a win-win-win. When you were growing up, did you have the machines that were by the doors of the bars and they were plugged into the wall and they had like hot peanuts or things like that? Of the bars? Well, Did you just ask me? Remember, growing up in Louisiana, we had looser rules. Well, no, that's that's actually very different because in Washington State, you can't take right. a kid, you know, right. states are different. So I can't speak to bars. Okay, bowling but, uh, alley. I mean, we're... <laughs> okay. Yes. You know what I I'm know talking ex- about. 
I know what you're going for here. Yeah, you would put, it was like, whatever, 25 cents, yeah. I guess. Mm-hmm. And then it would be those kind of like candy-coated peanuts or what I remember coming out of those things. That's kind of what I'm thinking with this. I mean, it definitely, oh, yeah. the ones you got from the machine definitely didn't have pretzels in them. I think that would have clogged the chute. Yeah, yeah. It was those hot, warm nuts. And, you know, that's something I remember fondly from my childhood. And recently I was out at a boathouse in a marina here in Olympia. It's out in a part of town called Boston Harbor. And I saw this machine by the door and from far away, it looked like it had nuts in it. And I was getting so excited. I was on my bike. So I was like, oh my gosh, do I have a quarter? I don't even know if I have change. You know, what am I going to do? And as I got closer, it turned out it was a dog treat machine. Okay. Yes. I was going to say, sometimes you see that with duck food. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Quite oh the letdown, gosh. I have to say. Okay. Well, don't don't pop those in your mouth then. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Nostalgia. It's what the holidays are all about, Andrea. Well, remember, we will have a link to these recipes in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 154 on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as over in our Facebook listeners group. Andrea, we've done some really fun and festive treats for our December shows, but we haven't tackled a straight up Christmas cookie since way back in our first season. That's right. Back in episode seven, we swapped our favorite holiday cookies. I made your almond butter blossoms, and you made my soft and chewy molasses spice ginger cookies. Those are still two of my faves. And while we hope you're having as much fun as we are with our confection affection this December, we know many of our listeners love baking cookies at holiday time, and truthfully, so do we. So we went out to our awesome listener community to gather some favorite recipes. The feedback on this question was so robust, we could make a batch a week until next Christmas and still have some cookies left in the queue. Well, speaking of your favorite Christmas cookie, Andrea, it shouldn't surprise us that many listeners are also fans of a chewy molasses ginger cookie at holiday time, Mm. and there are so many variations out there. Sarah loves the chewy ginger molasses cookies from food blog Gimme Some Oven. Maggie says the holidays wouldn't be complete without Martha Stewart's chewy chocolate gingerbread cookies. And Kim loves chef Emily Lucchetti's ginger cookies. Listener Rebecca says she's been making triple ginger crinkles from the Will Cook for Friends blog for years. And listener Nancy likes Moravian ginger cookies. Another holiday favorite is the classic sugar cookie for rolling out and decorating. Listener Melinda likes her aunt's family recipe, but she helpfully linked to a great online version from the Food Network on our Facebook page. And Carolyn says the recipe that came with her grandma's cutters, called Aunt Chicks, is a winner. Oh, I have some of those cookie cutters. I'll have to take a look at that recipe. Likewise, Renee says making her mom's sugar cookie recipe is non-negotiable at holiday time and reports it's taken a lot of practice to get just the right thinness. And I love the comment from listener Kelsey, who recommends the holiday butter cookies from King Arthur Flour. She says they're the perfect combo of sugar cookie and shortbread texture, are ideal for decorating because they hold their icing, and most importantly, they taste great. Speaking of shortbread, listener Jessica loves making Scottish shortbread and likes a version from the Spruce Eats. But if you're not a huge fan of the traditional sugar cookie or shortbread flavor, but are still looking for a delicious rolled cookie, Listener Rachel says the maple cinnamon star cookies from Sally's Baking Addiction fill the bill. And if you are a maple lover, listener Sandy says she and her family have tweaked the soft maple cookie recipe featured on all recipes until it's just like they like it. 
and she was kind enough to link to her modified version online. For many listeners, it wouldn't be the holidays without classic spritz cookies. Listener Candy especially loves variations with orange, chocolate, and vanilla. And you know we love our back-of-the-box recipes, Andrea. Candy uses the recipe that came on the box of her cookie press. And speaking of classics, Robert makes Martha Stewart's recipe for Pfeffernus and enjoys them with a glass of classic eggnog. Now, we've talked about some very traditional cookies and methods so far, but the next few entries really expanded our ideas about what a Christmas cookie can be. Tell me about it. I'm dying to whip up a batch of the bacon chocolate chip cookies mentioned by listener Rachel. (laughs) I think these would be such a fun gift and so unexpected. And how about Melinda's grandma's chocolate-covered peanut butter Ritz crackers, which are exactly what they sound like. And I was intrigued by listener Andrea in Germany, who loves making Swedish Luskater St. Lucia buns, St. Lucia being the Swedish festival that happens in early December. Mm. First of all, I love that Luskater translates to cat of light. And although more of a yeast bun, Andrea says you can make them small, so more cookie-like. I love listening to listener Robert's affinity for rainbow cookies from All Recipes, which he says reminds him of growing up in his parents' bakery. And what about Karen's shout-out for raspberry ribbon thumbprint cookies? Her version includes almond extract, but she linked to an online recipe from Midwest Living that she says is very similar. I'm also a huge fan of the thumbprint jam cookie. My mother-in-law makes them every year, and they're so good. Lots of listeners called out chocolate cookies. Listener Meredith loves her mom's chocolate mint meringues and linked to a similar recipe from Taste of Home. Listener Le Wolf, Ooh. non de plume, likes the magic in the middles from King Arthur Flower. Listener Candace goes for Martha Stewart's chocolate crackles. And Nancy likes Santa snowflake meringues with chocolate chips and pecans. And speaking of moms, listener Betty said her favorite cookies always came in a care package from her mother, my grandmother. Those were always such a welcome holiday package at our house. Finally, listener Amy wrapped it all up with a bow for us when she said, Holiday baking is all about family favorites, and isn't that the truth? So whether your family just couldn't do without peanut butter blossoms, snickerdoodles, bourbon balls, or your husband's grandmother's cream cheese cookies with nut, prune, or apricot filling, like listener Nancy, we loved hearing all your favorites and hope you've been inspired by this virtual cookie swap. Thanks so much to everyone who took the time to share their all-stars with our community, and apologies if we didn't see yours before we had to record this episode. Also, be sure to check out the show notes for this episode, which is 154, for links to all the online recipes mentioned today. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get the sprinkles on top of this episode. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and next week we'll be back with a review of David Leibovitz's favorite holiday snack mix, and introduce not one, but two homemade licorice options, including one that's gluten-free. And Stefan will fill us in on her recent European travels when the globetrotting gourmet road trips from Venice to Prague. Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, preheatedpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at preheatedpod. If you like our show, please tell a friend and subscribe, and consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our show. Here's one of our latest reviews from L.M. James, and it's titled Podcast Convert. I never was a huge fan of podcasts until I found this one. 
Preheated is so much fun to listen to and grab my attention on the very first episode. I'm binging from the beginning, but also trying to keep up to date with the new ones as well. If you love baking a variety of foods, this is the podcast for you. Love it. Thank you so much. Until next time, I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Thanks for listening and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions. (coughs) Bless you. Thank you.